chapter number, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get my right voice on. Acts chapter number 16. Acts 16, we're going to start reading in verse number 25. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time kind of paving the way of where we are right now. But uh, we do know that Paul has received a vision, if you will, in the earlier part of this chapter. And he's told to go and uh, he would receive word on what to do, where to go, and all of these things. He gets over to Philippi in verse number 12, and he begins to meet with some people there on the Sabbath day. Uh, if, you, if you have a Schofield Bible right above verse number 14, you find that there is his first convert in Europe. Her name is Lydia. And uh, then right after that, things begin to go south. And uh, you find that he begins to cast out a, 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 a spirit, I guess you might say, out of a woman there. And uh, the ones that are making money on this woman in this spirit of divination, uh, they cause an uproar, and this uproar ends Paul and Silas in prison. Okay, so if you're all following me up to this point, that's where we are. So we look now in verse number 25, they are cast into prison. And the Bible says in verse 25, and at midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Now, I don't know about you, but just those two verses right there give me reason to shout. Give me reason to rejoice. Amen? Uh, But then my, my mind has to continue reading. Verse 27 And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they say, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing God with all his house. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Lord, we're gracious tonight that we we see, Lord, in the middle of their troubles that they can pray and sing praises unto you. God, we're thankful, Lord, that the prisons can be broken asunder. God, we thank you, Lord, that in the middle of all of this, souls can be saved. And God, you know my heart tonight. Father, we pray that you'd give us, Lord, what we stand in need of. Lord, I pray that you would guard my mind, guard my thoughts. I pray, Lord, the notes that have been written down, and Lord, that have been carefully studied. I ask you, God, that you would help us, Lord, to stay on those and stay on task and stay on track tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you would get the glory from the message tonight. We give you that glory and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to go back to our text verse tonight and look at verse number 30. And uh, let's read it one more time. The, the prisoner 
or the, the prison guard says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you were to look in the back of my Bible, you'd find all kinds of little notes where I've picked up little things. Of, I'm talking about over the years, probably the last 15, 20 years. And I've carried them from this Bible and I've had it rebound and rebound. And uh, this is, I think, the second or third rebinding. And thankfully, they've kept. Uh, but uh, over the week, I've been looking at one particular uh, little note. And it says... Uh, essentially the title of the message, Do They Know Enough? And, and my note was a message that was preached in Knoxville years ago uh, about a man who got saved just after his wife got saved. He didn't know anything about being saved. He didn't know anything about what it meant to be a Christian. But he saw a change in his wife's life and he knew he wanted what she had. And he bowed and asked God to give him what his wife got. And so in my, in my Bible, I wrote, he knew enough. And so tonight I want to try to preach on this thought, do they know enough? Do they know enough? And uh, the message may seem a little educational or academic in nature tonight, uh, but I'm going to try to ask for your patience, if you will. Uh, I want to get, I told my wife I'm a little nervous about it because I want to get to verse number 30, but to get to verse 30 in those verses just after, I got to lay down some, some guy, not I got to lay down a foundation. And so I ask if you will just to help us tonight. My focus is not on the praying. Uh, my focus is not necessarily on the singing or even the earthquake, but the focus is on the jailer. He did something that I personally believe is out of out of character for him. I believe it's out of character for anyone during this period of time. And and that has made my my thought process go crazy. And uh, you you well, you know I'm just I'm on the verge of being crazy at any given moment. Uh but when when I get a thought, I, I can't seem to let it go. And I was telling Brother Kurt and Brother uh uh Kurt's daddy last night uh that I had a different thought uh, that I'm that I've been working on and I it's going over and over and over in my mind about King Solomon and and brother David the message that you told me about brother Buster he preached on some of that thought that I've been thinking about of, of, of Solomon not following fully after the Lord and and man that thing's been working on me and I can't can't hardly get any traction on it and I thought I couldn't on this but but God's opening some things and so I truly do hope that you can that you can follow along with me tonight as I I try to pave this this uh, this road for you, if you will. So as we look at this jailer, I have to ask myself some questions before we get to point number one. Uh, what made him ask the question that he asked in verse number 30? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He is using a language that was not used during that time. He's using words that no one of the, the secular world used. Matter of fact, uh, the word salvation, uh, it was not even a word that, that, that really the church was used to using at the time. And I'll make a point of that in a moment. Uh, but he used this word saved. Uh, he, uh, had he heard something along the lines? Has he, had he seen something that made him wonder what it meant? 
to be saved or to have this idea of salvation in his life. And so uh, with those four questions there, I want to go into point number one. Uh, What do we know about the time? What do we know about the time? Well, we understand that we are in Acts chapter number 16, but we got to go back about 16 or 17 chapters to when Jesus was crucified. Now, we understand, and I hope you understand tonight, that just because you turn the page in your Bible, it does not mean that a day or a year has passed. It may not mean that any time has passed, or it could mean that a decade has passed. Okay, let's let's establish that. And so though we're in chapter 16, I want us to know that uh, at the end of the book of John or in the at the end of any of the Gospels, we find that around 30 A.D., around 30 A.D., Jesus Christ was crucified. Now, during the last several years of Jesus' life, and then the several years just after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul, or Saul at the time, was under the tutelage of Gamaliel. Okay, Gamaliel was a Pharisee and he was Paul or Saul's tutor or he was the teacher uh, teaching him in the way of the Pharisee. Now, as we go a little bit further, we find uh, that in Acts chapter number uh, 2, we find that the church was established. It was well established by chapter number 4, but by chapter number 6 and chapter number 7, the church was being fully persecuted. By the time you get to chapter number Number eight, the church was distributed, or the, that that religious group there, that early church, uh, they were it's the diaspora, if you will, and so they were scattered abroad. You can read it in Acts chapter number eight, verse number one, down through verse number eight, and you'll find that they were scattered everywhere. And so, in chapter number four through chapter number eight of the book of Acts, you find that during this time, the church was established, but it was also being persecuted heavily. During those four chapters of four through eight, there's about six to seven years that the church was heavily persecuted. Now we find that Paul in chapter number nine, at the beginning of chapter number nine, he had he had uh, papers in his pocket uh, to go to the church and to again persecute those in Damascus. All right, that's where we find him in Acts chapter number nine. But it was there, there on the road to Damascus that he met the Lord. And Jesus said, why kickest thou against the pricks? I believe, I know we don't find the Roman road. We don't find the Ephesians bypass or the Colossians overpass or anything like that. Understand that we don't see a prayer necessarily that Paul prayed. But I believe in my heart of hearts that in Acts chapter number 9, the apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. We find that he was told to go into the city. He met Ananias. Ananias laid hands on him. Uh, but then we find just a few moments after that, uh, we find that he went to Arabia for three years. In Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 15, 16, 17, and 18, Paul begins to describe his time from the Damascus Road and those three years he spent in Arabia uh, learning from the Word of God and learning from God Himself. 
He did not want to go into Jerusalem because he had just slain thousands of people in Jerusalem for his faith. And so it wasn't for fear, but it was for foundation that he stayed away for three years. Once he had those three years, he went into Jerusalem. He met with Peter and he met with the disciples and those apostles and began to preach and to establish the ministry that God had called him into. Y'all still with me right here? Alright, so then uh, we find that after Galatians chapter 1 verse 15 through 18, he goes back and we find him in a few chapters later around, I guess, probably 13 or 14, maybe the beginning of verse 15, we find that the Apostle Paul begins his first missionary journey. And he begins to make a circuit with Barnabas after he and Barnabas are chosen. But now we find ourselves in chapter number 16. And in chapter 16, we see that around the years of 51 or 54 A.D., somewhere in that span of time, Paul begins his second missionary journey that is going to last for two years. Two years. Now again, I, I go back to you turn the page and you think, well, just a, just a matter of moments has passed. We're talking years, Brother Kurt, has passed from the beginning of chapter number 16 to the end of chapter number uh, 16. We find that two years has passed. If you'll just kind of look with me in your Bible, let's look back at chapter number 15, verse number 35, okay? Look with me. We're, this, is, this is Wednesday night. It's not Sunday school, but we're going to give you a quick Sunday school lesson. Lesson here. Acts chapter number 15, verse number 35. We're going to go to about 23 different places in two years that Paul went, and I'm going to give it to you in about two minutes. You see in verse number 35 that they were in Antioch. Then look down with me in verse number 41. He says, then they went through Syria and Sicily, or Cilicia. Then in chapter number 1, or chapter 16, verse number 1, they went to Derbe and Lystra. Verse number 6, they went to Phrygia and then Galatia. And then in verse 7, they went to Mysia. And verse number 8, they went to Troas. Verse number 11, they went to Samothracia. They went to Neopolis, Neopolis. And then they went to Philippi. Verse number 12. Verse number 12 sets up the, 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 the location where we are. Then we find over in chapter 17 uh, that we go to Amphilius, Amphilus, uh, Thessalonica, to Athens, to Berea, and then over in chapter 18 to Corinth, to Centria, to Ephesus, to Caesarea, and then back to uh, uh, Antioch. Okay? So if you want to find that, I'll give it to you later on. But just quickly, I wanted to give you uh, that he was traveling for two years, and right in the middle of this, we come to Philippi. So this brings us to number two. What do we know about Philippi? Well, the first thing that we know now, currently, about Philippi is that it is in Greece. I had no idea that it was in Greece until about three or four months ago uh, when Brother Aaron Wilson uh, had a group of men go over with him and they sent a Marco Polo back and said, Hey guys, we just crossed over the border from Albania into Greece and we went to that Mamertine prison where the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Silas were held in that Philippine prison. I said, Huh? What are you talking about? I mean, I'm not being silly, but I thought, Michael, that it was just right across the street from Jerusalem. 
That's where I and that's where my mind took me that the Philippine prison was there in Jerusalem or somewhere in Israel, but it wasn't. We find that it is actually in Greece. There's a population during this time in Greece from 10,000 to 15,000 people. We understand that because of its nearness to uh, what was the what was the actual city there. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Neapolis. Uh, Neapolis was the, the seaport and because it was so close to there just a matter of miles uh, that uh, Philippi was a strategic trade location its religion was polytheistic which means uh, it believed in many gods multiple gods matter of fact it went so far as to uh, they were accused of cannibalism they were eating their own they offered human sacrifices we find that uh, Philippi is the halfway point in the missionary journey. I gave you about 22 to 23 different locations uh, that Paul covered in a two-year span. And the twelfth location, Kurt, is Philippi. And so this was not just, okay, I'm going to go from point A to point B and end up in Philippi. Uh, this was months and maybe even years into the journey, or at least a year into the journey, whether on foot or by boat, we find him here at this location in Philippi. Speaking of distance, we look at uh, by land. If he went from Jerusalem, which is where he started there in Antioch, all the way up through the mountains and over, we find that it was 1,400 miles. If he left the port closest to Jerusalem, we found that he went up into the river, into the, the Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea. It was 879 miles. This was not a quick trip by any stretch of the word. This was a long journey. Number three, what do we know about this jailer? Y'all still tracking everything? All right, I told you we got to go fast. We're trying to lay this thing down. The, 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 the message tonight is, do they know enough? Now you say, well, I don't even know what you've said so far. Hang on, we're getting there. Number three, what do we know about this jailer? Well, if, if we can just be dead honest tonight, we don't know anything about this jailer. But if we look at our history and we look at the, the customs of this day, we have to, we have to understand a few things. We have to understand that this man was a hardened man. Look with, look with me in, in the Word of God. We're in chapter number 16 and we're looking at verse number 23 and 24. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, the jailer thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. This was not even the intention of the Roman guard, but this was the jailer. He says, all right, you want me to keep them safe? Bless God, I'm going to keep them safe. I'm putting them under the prison. And it said, look what it says. He says they thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, I'll say something about it in a minute, but I want you to know, verse 23 says, they laid many stripes upon them. And there was no care for any of those stripes. Do you all see that in verse 23 and 24? There was absolutely no care for any of that. They got beat, they got whooped, and then all of a sudden they were not just cast into prison, but cast into the inner prison by this jailer. And so if I can say it just to lighten the load a little bit, uh, this was not some Barney Fife of Philippi. 
This was not just some guy with the keys and a bullet in his pocket hoping that he wouldn't get hurt or hoping uh, that the bad guy wouldn't get out. This was, this was an elite man charged with keeping some of the hardest of Roman criminals. And Paul and Silas had just been stripped, they had just been beaten, and his first action upon receiving this charge of these men was to thrust them into the inner prison and make their feet fast in the stocks. Number four, we only got five, so we're moving right along. Somebody say amen. Number, I think we only have five. I did go to school in Florida, so I don't remember. Number four, what do we know about Paul's message? Now, I told you up to this point, we've been building a a foundation. We've talked about what we know about the time. We've talked about what we know about the place, the Philippi. We've talked about what we know about the person, this Philippian jailer. But now, what do we know about Paul's message? Well, again, I don't want to disappoint you, but we don't know a single thing about Paul's message. As we look, as we look at this entire chapter, we don't really see Paul preaching. We don't. We, we get a little glimpse in verse number 12, 13, 14, 15. Well, and I'll just read it for sake of argument. It says, and from thence to Philippi, uh, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. That word want was often it was necessary to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman, here we go. Named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me uh, to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And so what do we know about the message? Well, according to the message that he may have spoken here by the rivers, Side, or to Lydia herself, we have, we know absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, the only time where we're dealing with this, this phrase, the word saved in verse number 30, the only time we see anything even remotely uh, close to it is in verse number uh, 18, I believe it is, um, 17, when this woman that was possessed with a spirit of divination cried, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She didn't say anything out of the way. She didn't say anything wrong, but she was saying things that was against the teachings, against the spirit that Paul and Silas were trying to teach him. Uh, they did not want, they did not want any pomp and circumstance coming behind them. Uh, they wanted to do what God did, desired them to do when God desired them to do it. And so Paul, in verse number 18, uh, she did this many days. Paul was grieved and he said, I command thee in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out, and then that is when everything went downhill. Those that were making money on this particular woman and her spirit of divination, uh, they began to attack uh, 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 Paul and Silas. So what do we know about the message? We know nothing. Paul only mentioned the name of Jesus in a rebuke in verse number 18. So that leads me to the, the whole of the message tonight. And that is this, do they know enough? Number five, so how did he 
this jailer know enough to ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If, if we don't know what Paul preached, and we don't know a whole lot about this jailer, we don't know if he went to vacation Bible school. We don't know that he grew up in, in some Southern Baptist church. We don't know if he grew up in some independent work. We don't know anything. We kind of assume he did not. But we don't know any of them. We don't know that, that they even had a synagogue by any chance. There's no talk of a synagogue, really. It just talks about him standing uh, there by the river. So we don't even know what the true religion was at the time. But what we do know is that he had been somehow, in Brother Jody, influenced by something that made him ask, what must I do to be saved? So, number five. So, how did he know to ask, what must I do to be saved? Here we go. Many writers that I've read after, they have invoked natural fear as a catalyst for his actions and his question. They, they've said, well, this man, he, he clearly was asleep in verse number 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And so most of these writers that I've read after, they've said that he's asking this question. He is reacting because of fear. I mean, how would you act if the if the whole place was was shaken around you and there was an earthquake and you had no idea what was going on and you, you could clear your eyes from your sleep and, and you saw it looked like all the doors were open. And everybody was standing around you. Uh, that when you went to sleep, they were all in bonds and you were secure. Well, I have no problem believing what these men have said. I mean, if, if I was in, in this man's shoes, Nick, I'd, I'd be scared. Let's face it. If any of us were in this man's shoes, we would be scared. We'd be scared. Of, I've never been in an earthquake. I don't know if any of y'all have. I have no desire to be in one. I've never been in, in, in some of these natural disasters, have no desire to be in one. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But if I were, I know there would be some natural fear. But I, 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 I do believe that the, the enough that he needed was not because of the fear. I believe that it could have been those few hours that he had them held captive. I believe that the reason that he could say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I I, I believe when he sprang in in verse 27 and he would have killed himself because he thought he may have lost a prisoner. I believe that was true fear. Because if he had lost a prisoner, his life would have been taken from him. So he was going to kill himself. I believe that. But that's not my question tonight, Kurt. My question is, how did he know enough to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen to this. Could it be that all he needed to know came from the few hours he held them captive? Their bloody wounds there in verse number 23 and 24 now have begun to dry. Their bruises now have well developed. Their muscles have now settled into a sore tenderness. 
Then something unexplainable happened. The clock struck midnight and a prayer meeting broke out. Just a couple weeks ago, we, we preached the message when the song returns. And there's some of us, sometimes we seem to feel like we're in the midnight hour a lot of times. Sometimes it's in our own minds and sometimes we can't talk ourselves out of. And I'm just being real with you tonight. Sometimes we just get there and we can't seem to see the light of day sometimes. But but Paul and Silas were in the inner... I'm about to have a fit. They were in the inner prison and they were beaten. They were bruised. They were bloodied. They were worn out. They were tired. I no doubt they were cold. They were in dank facilities. But yet at midnight in one of the darkest times of the evening, they began to pray and sing praises unto God. And so something tells me uh, that when this unexplainable thing started happening, I'm talking about before the earthquake ever happened, something unexplained. The earthquake was unexplainable in and of itself. But honey, there was something going on. When out of nowhere, the child of God begins to cry out to God in heaven. And I don't believe that they were saying, God, you know our predicament. God, you know how bad it is. God, you know I'm tired. God, you know how hurt I am. God, all I was doing was trying to get this woman off our back. God, we just just saw Lydia in her house get saved. Why has it got to be like this? I don't know that it was any of that. I just kind of wonder if they might have said, God, uh, you know you've called us here to Philippi. Uh, God, we're halfway on our journey. Uh, God, you've got a little bit further for us to go. And God, we want to do what you want. We want to go where you want. Uh, God, just give us strength. Uh, whether it's in the prison or it's in the palace. Uh, God, we join to praise you. And then they began to say, you know what? Uh, Silas, I believe I'll just sing a song. Man, I thought all day what songs they might have sang. I don't know. Maybe maybe one of those songs out of the Psalms. Or maybe one of Solomon's songs. I don't know. Uh, but somewhere along the line, I believe they begin to cry. I sing unto the Lord, all ye lands. I sing unto the Lord, all ye, all my soul. I believe they begin to sing uh, not of their own worth. Uh, not of their own uh, dysfunction. Uh, but they begin to sing praises unto God. And something unexplainable happened to this man that was over there in the corner wondering why they were making such a fuss and he finally drifted off to sleep. Drifted off to the sleep listening to them praying and singing praises to God. Then all of a sudden earthquake started. Earthquake started and out of nowhere the walls began to shake. The Bible says that the foundations of the prison was shaken. Look in your Bible, it says all the doors were open. Not just Paul and Silas's, but all the doors were open. Everyone's bands were loosed. No doubt his first response was that charge given to him. He thought he lost his prisoners. But Paul and Silas' words, their actions, they spoke a truth that had never been heard by this man. Every other prisoner he had, if there was ever a weakness in his own charge, uh, they tried to escape. Uh, they tried to force their way through him and by him, over him, under him, around him somehow. Uh, but instead, Paul and Silas said, Do thyself no harm. We are all here. Don't hurt yourself. Hey, we're, we're right here. We've not gone anywhere. Don't do anything. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said these words. 
If anybody ever asks you, what do I need to do to be saved? You ain't got to find any long scripture reference. You just got to say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt. I need somebody to stay. Hey, hey, I need somebody to say amen. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and woo, and thou shalt be saved. Oh, hey, we got a world that's lost and dying and going to heaven. Going to hell and we're trying to tell them every way to get to heaven but the right way. And that's through Jesus Christ. Woo, goodness gracious. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He says, <laughs> they spoke the word of God. Verse 32, they spoke the word of God to him and to his house. Verse 32. But then in verse number 33, he took them in, in his care. I told you at the beginning of this, in verse 23 and 24, that they were beaten, they were bloodied, and he took no thought of their condition. He just bound them and threw them into the inner jail. But now in verse number 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. He was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And we had brought them out He set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all His house. He took them in His care. His neglect to care at first, now He washed their stripes. He fed them. I wonder if it's because He now knew enough. You say, well, I still don't know what He knew. He knew that there was something different about these men. He knew that they had just prayed and sang praises, not to any God like they had ever, that he had ever seen. He knew that they acted towards him and or their surroundings like nothing that he had ever seen. He knew that there was something in the voice when they began to pray. He knew that there was something there was something different about their tone as they began to lift up the the lyrics and the melody to God in heaven. This was not just some chant of some religious. Sect. This was not just some some prayer that was that was that was spoken out of some spirit of of uh, of of, uh, of I don't even know. Uh, but this this was something different, brother Kurt. Did he know enough? Did he know enough? We don't see anything that was preached to him directly, but we find in verse thirty-two. Verse 33 and verse 34, that he knew enough. That brings me now to my conclusion. Do those around us know enough? They may never hear a sermon, but they can hear a song. They may never hear a testimony, but they can watch you through a testing God still, to this day, gives songs in the night. I'm going to give you some scripture. I'm going to try my best just to give them to you and leave you with them. Psalm 32, verse number 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Psalm 42, verse number 8, Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the nighttime His song, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God of my life. 
Psalm 77, 6, I call to remember my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Psalm 104, verse number 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise unto my God while I have my being. I'm going to read that one again just because it get a little hitch in my giddy up. Psalm 104, verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. As long as there's breath in me, I want to sing to God because He's worthy. Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. Verse number 7 of Psalm 147. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise unto the harp unto our God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9 through 12. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I'm about to run. For it became Him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bring many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one for a call for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren say I will declare thy name unto my brethren and in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee James chapter number 5 verse 13 is any among you afflicted let him pray is any merry let him sing psalms and Ephesians chapter number 5 verse 18 through 20 and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Listen, I want you to know tonight that there is help in singing. There is help in praying. There is help in going through uh, the times of testing of uh, the right way of uh, the reason this man was able to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is because Paul and Silas reacted the right way in the time of testing and trouble. We don't see their sermon. We don't see their... We didn't, we, we, they didn't give him a track through the bars. But they lived the right way in front of him. Let's come with a song. I don't care who it is. Just somebody come tonight. And let's sing to the Lord this evening. Let's praise Him for what He's done. We think about all the goodness of God in our lives. And so often when troubles come, and I'm, I'm one of the world's worst, when troubles come, I mean, I can be on a high, and then troubles come, and it's like nothing good has ever happened to me. But my goodness... The Lord has just convicted my heart to those around me, to my neighbors, to the people that I, that I work with, to those people that I see day in and day out. Do they see me as that molly grubbing person or do they see me as somebody that has a song in his mouth and a praise on his lips and a prayer in his heart? Do they know enough that if I never speak another word, they know how to be saved?